0: I don't know if you heard the one about the husband and wife. Husband was concerned about his wife's hearing. So he goes to see the family doctor and says, Doc, I'm concerned about my wife's hearing. I often have to repeat myself. She, she, just, can't, she just can't hear. He says, OK, well, I want you to go home and I want you to, you know, so we can gauge the severity of her deafness. I, I want you to stand about 15 feet back and say something. If she can't hear you, walk five feet closer. And if she still can't hear you, Five feet closer, and if she still can't, five feet closer. So we can just kind of have an idea of how deaf she is. He's okay. So he goes home, and his wife's in the kitchen cutting some vegetables, and he says, okay, I'm going to try it. Honey, what do we have for dinner? No response. So five, steps, five feet forward. Honey, what are we having for dinner? Still no response. So five feet forward. Honey, what are we having for dinner? Nothing. So finally, he's like an inch away from her. He's all frustrated. Honey, what are we having for dinner? She replied, for the fourth time, vegetable stew. <laughs> yes. It's the husband that has the death problem. He's the one that's hard of hearing. And I can totally identify with that. I don't know what it is, but it's the guys. Man, we just we lose our hearing. That has nothing to do with what I want to talk to you about tonight. But. Like we mentioned, we we had been married thir- thirty-nine years two weeks ago. I just kind of want to get a feel of anybody here is engaged. Is anybody here that is engaged to be married? Anybody? Awesome! All right, congratulations! All right. So I, I want to get a gauge to see how who's been married the longest. So. Ten years and below. Anybody's celebrating ten years and below? Yes. Awesome. All right. All right. If you can keep your hands up, all right. How about uh, twenty years and twenty to eleven years? Any in that range? All right, awesome. Amen. Thirty and to twenty one ish. All right, okay, more and more. All right. Praise the Lord. How about forty? Do I hear a forty? Yes. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Forty five. Forty five. Praise the Lord. Amen. Any fifties here? Any fifties? All right. So how about forty six? Forty seven. Forty four. Forty four. Okay. All right. Amen. Yes. So forty five. Do we have any forty sixes? 47. So 40, 44. All right. Just like Larry and Carmel. Awesome. Praise the Lord. So 45. I think you guys got it back in the back there. All right. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Congratulations. 49. Oh, all right. Okay. Do I hear a 50? All right. That's awesome. Congratulations. You know, we're living in a day where there's not a there's not a lot of value put on marriage. Um, marriage is uh, looked down upon today. Um, I think marriage is in a real crisis today. I came a uh, I came across this from the Barna Institute. It says born again adults less likely to cohabitate, but just as likely to divorce. And this was an 2001 it says in spite of recent census data showing that fewer americans are getting married with each passing decade the long-term view indicates that americans are entering their first marriage at older ages somewhere around like 40 ish Uh, and it and that more than nine out of ten americans eventually get married but marriage is not as, as stable a relationship as it once was Among three-quarters of who have been married, one-third has also experienced at least one divorce. The research identified these three surprises in terms of who is most likely to get divorced. And this one was a real shocker. Born-again Christians are just just as likely to get divorced as non-born-again adults. Overall, 33% of all born-again individuals who have been married have gone through a divorce, which is statistically identical to the 34% incidence among non-born-again adults. And I think that is a very sad statistics that the, the divorce rate in the church among born-again believers is the same as the people in the world. And that shouldn't be the case. And I think that's a sad, a very sad uh, state of affairs there. And I think one of the reasons is, is because there's born again Christians that are not living by the spirit of God. They're not living under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're letting the flesh get the best of them. And as you guys know, look, we're, we're, we're Christians, but we're also, we have this flesh and we have the sinful nature and And so that's something that we have to battle, but a lot of couples are letting the flesh take over, and it ruins their marriage. And so it's not a a spirit-controlled marriage. It's not a marriage in which the, the the virtue of love is evident. And I think that's where that's therein lies the problem. The, the lack of love, the lack of God's love within the marriage, the lack of the two individuals, husband and wife, yielding themselves, giving themselves to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to work in them and through them through love. I came across this quote, A marriage requires love. Love is the powerful virtue that will bind a man and a woman together. When their imperfections pulls them apart. And I think that's a good description of what love is. Love is that powerful virtue that will bind that husband and wife together. When their imperfection is trying to pull them apart. And that's exactly what's happening within the marriage relationship is. We have the flesh. We have the flesh to contend with. And the flesh is trying to pull us apart. But love. God's love is that powerful virtue that keeps us together. So tonight, I want to talk to you on the fruitful marriage. The virtue of love. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. As you guys know, the book of Galatians is uh, one of Paul's epistles. And he's writing to a group of churches. And the main issue there was that some false teachers had come into the, church, to the churches there and were telling people that you had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And of course that is, that is false doctrine and Paul wants to correct that. And he, uh, his main thrust of this letter is, is, is saying that, that a person is justified by faith in Christ alone. In other words, what Paul is arguing in this epistle is that the only thing that is needed for you to be forgiven and have uh, uh, eternal life is for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no works involved, uh, no circumcision involved. Um, And so I'm sure all the Gentiles were very happy about that at that time. They didn't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Um, And so the only thing that was required is Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. And this is what Paul is arguing um, in this letter and in our immediate context, Galatians 5, Paul is, is actually contrasting the flesh, the works of the flesh, plural, with the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Now, like uh, as Brother Larry mentioned, there's nine fruit, different virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, the it's a singular fruit, and all these different virtues are all bound together. Uh, and the Spirit of God himself produces those in the believer. Um, and, so, uh, and he's comparing that with the works of the flesh. And as we're going to read, um, just for the sake of context, we're going to read 16 through 25, but our focus is going to be on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, namely love. So let's read there. It says Galatians 5 verses 16 and 20 through 25. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the lust or for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you don't know you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, the list goes on, right? Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, And the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the contrast, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so here Paul contrasts again the, the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things I was thinking about when, when Larry asked me to speak, and he says, I want you to talk on the fruitful marriage. And I begin to think and just you know contemplate that that title what are, the fruitful marriage what what is a fruitful marriage and i thought about the fruitful marriage the fruitful marriage is, is a marriage that glorifies god a marriage that glorifies god and i this is our our uh, our goal in life as christians i think it's a knee jerk reaction once god saves you that you want to live for his glory You want to live to to bring glory to Him. You want to do things that please Him. And you don't want to quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit in any way. You you are not living for yourself anymore, but you're living for Him. And you want to bring glory to God. And so a fruitful marriage is the same. We, We want to live with our spouse in such a way that we bring glory to Him. Glory to God that our marriage would reflect who God really is. And that people would see like, wow, there's something different about your marriage. What's what's going on? And then that would give you opportunity to say, well, let me tell you, it wasn't always like that. But God, but God came into our life. And and so again, it's for the glory of God. There's a popular uh, catechism, the Westminster Catechism. that says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that's that's the purpose in life. That's the goal in life is to to glorify Him. To make much of Him. And that's what we want to do in our marriage. We want to live in such a way that brings glory to Him. Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. For the glory of God. And so Paul says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And again, I think, you know, marriage is a perfect way in which we can glorify God and and point people to the Savior and to let people know that that God is alive and well and still involved in changing people's lives. We know that God created the institution of marriage and that marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman, until death do them part. And Jesus confirms this in Genesis. He's, uh, when the Pharisees came to ask Him about uh, divorce, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 6, He says, And He answered and said to them, Have you not read that He who made them at the beginning male and female, And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we see here in these verses, Jesus confirming the Genesis account, stating that a marriage is between a man and woman. One man, one woman for life. I know there's people today that are trying to redefine marriage, uh, but God, God created the institution of marriage and He's the only one that can define what marriage is. And we have no right in changing things up. And even though people are trying to do that today, but uh, again, marriage is an institution in which we can bring glory to God. It's it's an institution created by god for his glory and our enjoyment our enjoyment also when i think about a fruitful marriage i think of i think of a healthy marriage healthy marriage and um, you know and, and a healthy marriage is a marriage in, in which you know there's a mutual love and respect for one another and i think once we lose that once we lose our love and our respect for one another then that's when these works of the flesh begin to creep up and choke out the love and, uh, uh, that we have for our, for our spouse. So a healthy marriage, again, is a, is a, a marriage in which love and respect uh, is there. Um, Paul says this of marriage in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He says there in verses 31 through 33, Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's interesting that Paul says that the marriage relationship reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church. And I think there he's referring to the unity in which, uh, the, the, the unity that the church has with, uh, with Jesus. Um, in Ephesians, in fact, that is the main theme, is in Christ. Um, when you become a believer in Jesus, you are now positioned in Christ. You are now united to Jesus. And so we are now in Christ. And so when Paul is comparing the two here, um, it's the same thing with husband and wife. We become one flesh. When we get married and we take vows before God, we are becoming one. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so this is what I think a healthy marriage is all about. A marriage that glorifies God and a marriage in which there is a mutual love and a respect for one another. And also, um, I thought about, uh, you know, how how can we have a fruitful marriage? And I think in our text here, we have clear proof or clear evidence of how we can have a fruitful marriage. A fruitful marriage is achieved by walking in the Spirit. As you see there in the text, he says there in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So again if I can just say that you know th- these verses are not talking about marriage per se they're talking about a Christian but these are definitely these verses are definitely applicable for the marriage relationship and and again if you're walking in the spirit then there's not going to be room for the flesh the works of the flesh it's either one or the other. And again, we as Christians, we have problems with our our flesh, right? We, we still carry around, we're, we're living in this fallen flesh that wants to rebel against God. But we also have the Spirit of God inside of us that wants to live for the glory of God and wants to live to please God. And so the way we have, the way we attain fruitful marriages is by walking in the Spirit. He says there again, verse 16, I say then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the lust of the flesh. I'm sorry for the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so Paul is here. He's describing this tension that we have as believers, the 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 flesh and the spirit. It's there. I heard an illustration about that. Um, there was this guy who had these two dogs, one black, one white, and he would take them into town and he would he would fight them. And uh, all the people there, they were the the guys there would they would bet on the horse or I'm sorry, the dog on who would who would win the fight, and uh, someone. Someone bet on the white dog. Someone bet on the black dog. But the owner won every single week and he would pick a different dog every week. Regardless of what dog he picked, he always won. And so someone came to him and said, hey, I just want to know, how is it that you know which dog is going to win? And he says, well, let me tell you, it's the one I feed. That's the one that wins. The one I starve is the one that loses. And so it's the same thing with the Spirit. The one you starve is the one that's going to lose. And the one you feed, the one you feed the most is the one that's going to win. The flesh and the Spirit. And so if we want to have Spirit-led marriages and fruitful marriages, we need to yield ourselves, surrender ourselves to the Spirit. Feed the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we do that by how? By, by, pray, by praying, by by reading the Word, by coming to meetings like this, gathering with brothers and sisters, and in Christ, and, and and that's how we feed the Spirit. That's how we starve the flesh by by coming to these meetings, by praying, by reading, and all these things. And so, the fruitful marriage is characterized. By the fruit of the Spirit. By the fruit of the Spirit. And so we need the Spirit of God if we want to um, have marriages that last. Marriages that endure. If we desire marriages to glorify God and to bear fruit for His glory, we need God's Spirit. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We need Him. We need Him. I'm reminded of uh, Ecclesiastes. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to continue on with uh, Galatians 5.22. It just emphasizes the Spirit there. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in There he goes in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So verse 16 is the same, in the Spirit. Verse 25, in the Spirit. And so that's the key. If you want a fruitful marriage, you need to be in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we do that by surrendering, by yielding to Him, by saying no to the things of the flesh. And yes to the things of the Spirit. So we need God. We need the Spirit of God. We're all Trinitarians here, right? The Holy Spirit is God. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need God in our marriages. We need God in our lives. If our marriages are going to endure the test of time. Ecclesiastes says in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 12, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's a very popular verse, but I think it speaks to uh, God being in our marriage. And so if I can say a word to the uh, couple over here being engaged, God, if he's that third cord, that third strand, he's going to keep you guys together. Two cords are easily broken, but not three. And so God, if he's in our marriage, man, there's nothing that we can't overcome with him. And I know God has made a difference in, in my marriage and in our, in our marriage. Again, it's only by the grace of God that we're here tonight. And so uh, to Him be the glory for that. Uh, again, the Spirit of God is what is needed. Um, and then if you notice there, he mentions, He mentions love, the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it's one fruit, but nine different virtues. In fact, there's even more. If you look out, you know, look throughout the New Testament. There's even more virtues that are listed. Um, so, what does a fruitful marriage look like? And I think that we see that in verses 22 through 25. And we're just going to be talking about love. But it says there, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So, if the if the Holy Spirit is in your marriage, then this is what you're going to see. This is what a fruitful marriage looks like. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. So love. It's It's no wonder, I think, that Paul mentions love first because, you know, the Bible says that God is love. Right? God is love. Anyone who does not... Love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And so if God is there, love is going to be there. And love is that, is that virtue that is going to keep you together. And I think a lot of times uh, people in our society today don't know what love is. I think they confuse lust with love you know lust says what can i get but love says what can i give and we know that that love is love is giving the bible says in john 3:16 that god so loved the world that he gave right he he loved us in such a way he so much that he gave his only son and so when when paul says the fruit of the spirit is love this is the type of love that Paul is referring to here. God's kind of love. The love that, kind of, that, that gives. It's not looking to get. But it's what can I give. And that's God's kind of love. I love how uh, Jerry Bridges defines love. He says biblical love. Is not emotions or feelings. But it's attitudes and actions. That seek the best interests Of the other person. Regardless of how we feel toward him or her. So it's, it's about giving. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this love is about giving. And I guarantee you, if you seek to give to your spouse and serve your spouse, man, the, your marriage is going to last. Your marriage is going to go the distance. Because this is what it takes. It takes God's kind of love. God's love. A love that says, what can I give and how can I serve regardless of how I feel? Uh, I was reminded of a couple who, um, you know, they just weren't feeling in love with each other. The goosebumps were gone. The warm and fuzzies had kind of fizzled out. And so they wanted a, approval from their pastor to get divorced. And so they went to him and said, hey, we just don't feel in love anymore. And they thought the pastor was going to sign on with them and say, oh, OK, then why don't you get divorced? No, he didn't. Instead, he looks to the husband and he says, look, the Bible says that you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Can you do that? No, I I can't do that. I'm not there. He says, okay, well, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Can you do that? And he says, no, I I can't even do that. Well, here, listen up. The Bible says love your enemies. Start there. (laughs) Start there. In other words, love anyways. Regardless of how you feel, love anyways. And that's the commitment that we made to each other before God, to love in sickness and in health uh, for richer or poorer, for poorer or for better or for worse. And so love regardless. And a lot of people get that confused, man, I don't feel the, the warm and fuzzies no more. I don't hear the bells every time I kiss my wife anymore, you know, and so they feel like, well, I'm not in love anymore. No, love is more than just feelings. Love is more than feelings. I like what John MacArthur says this, uh, about genuine love. He says genuine love is, is not mere, merely a feeling or an involuntary attraction. It involves a willful choice. And that is why the word is often in the form of an imperative, a command. Far from being something we fall into by happenstance. Authentic love is involves a deliberate, voluntary commitment to sacrifice whatever we can for the good of the person we love. Amen? That's genuine love. That's a biblical love. That's God's love. I love how Paul the Apostle defines love in that the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. You know, I I was thinking about love is patient. God is so patient with me. He's so patient with us, isn't he? He's so patient. And yet we are so impatient with other people, especially our spouse sometimes. And so how can that be? You know, God, God is patient with us. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to imitate him. So if God is patient, he wants you to be patient. He goes on to say, it's not rude. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's a big one. Keeps no record of wrongs. There was a married couple for 15 years, and they began to have some big disagreements. So the wife came up with an idea. And she said, you know, for one month, we're going to put each other's irritations in a box. And at the end of the month, we're going to kind of go over them and we're going to discuss them. So the husband said, OK, we'll, we'll do that. So the wife was quick to note, leaves his clothes on the floor, puts it in the box, leaves the peanut butter cap off the jar, puts it in the box. Clothes aren't in the hamper, puts it in the box. Meanwhile, the wife's box is being filled up too. So at the end of the month, they get together after dinner one night. And so the husband starts looking at him. Wow, I didn't put my clothes in the hamper. Didn't put the peanut butter in on top of the cap. My clothes aren't in the hamper. Now wife, she opens up her box and her box is full too. And it said the same thing. Every single one said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And that's 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 what biblical love is. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a love that keeps. I'm sorry, keeps no record of wrongs. A biblical love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's what was in her box. I love you. A bunch of I love yous. That, that was good. I thought that that was good. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's something like my wife would do and I would do all the irritations and she would do all the I loves. But that's just the way the story read. So I, you know, nothing against you women. So love keeps no record of wrong. This is this is a biblical love. This is the kind of love. This is the virtue that God wants us to have in our marriages. This is the merit. This is the virtue that is going to keep us together that is going to see us through through the good, the bad, the ugly in life. And we, you know, life happens. You know, 39, 49, 50 years. I mean, things happen. Life happens. And it's not good sometimes. And you need love. You need love. As it goes on to say there in 1 Corinthians, love never fails, right? Love never fails. And that's the kind of love that we need in our marriage. Biblical love. God's love. There was a group of kids. They were asked um, to define love. And one girl, her name is Rebecca. She's eight years old. She said, love is this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. When his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Another one, Bobby Seven says, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. And this is from young people. Another guy says, Tommy Six, six years old, says, love is like that little old woman and little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. (laughs) Amen. Out of the mouths of young people. Yes, that's love. Again, I think our society is uh, doesn't know this type of love and it's up to you and I, God's children, to show, to demonstrate what a biblical love is and the power of the virtue of love, God's love. Paul says in Colossians he says there in verse uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. These are other virtues here. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And listen to this, verse 14. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, brothers and sisters, we need God's love. If you want your marriage to be fruitful, if you want your marriage to be God-glorifying, you need love. And love is attained, this kind of love is attained only by by, by the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces in you, in me, these virtues, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting about these virtues, I heard someone once say is that not only is it Holy Spirit produced, but you're commanded to love. I'm commanded to love. As we see here in Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14 Paul tells the Galatians, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in this one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that the two two greatest commandments are to love God and love our neighbor and how much more our spouse. The one we're spending life with. And so church, let us love. Let us yield, let us submit, surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit so that we can have this love for one another. Let us remember our vows that we took 49 years ago, 39 years ago, 2 years ago. Whatever it is, let us remember our vows to love one another. And what that looks like. I'm reminded of this Italian phrase. That it depicts biblical love. The Italians have a beautiful expression for love. It's, Ti vaglio, vaglio beni. Any Italians in the house? I can't pronounce that. But anyhow it, it means. Uh, though commonly translated as I love you. The phrase more literally means, I wish you good. I want what is good for you. That's what it means in Italian. So it's more than a feeling. It goes on to say, this simple phrase reminds us that true love is not primarily about good feelings. Even less is is it about when I can get out of the relationship for myself. The fullness of love is looking outward to my beloved and seeking what is best For that person, not just what is good for me. And I think that uh, describes a a biblical love. Not what can I get, but what can I give. And I think if we do that, if we commit to that, then our marriages are going to go and stand the the test of time. All the trials, all the tribulations that we have to go through, we're going to be standing. And our marriages are going to glorify God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this word, Lord. and I thank you for my brothers and sisters here tonight. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us, Father, to, to yield and submit, surrender to the Spirit of God. That we would deny and crucify the works of the flesh, Lord. And we've had enough of that. We, we want to live by the Spirit, Lord. We want your love to... Fill our hearts. Fill our marriages. Lord, we desire to be more like you. We want to glorify you in everything we say and do, Lord. So, Father, I pray for each marriage that is represented here tonight. May you strengthen them. May you help them to yield to you, to surrender to you. And help them to love, Lord, the way you desire Father, I do also pray for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as we remain as in an attitude of prayer. If you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered it. That's where it all starts. It starts with you laying down your life and asking Jesus into your life. And if you've never done that and would like to do that tonight, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. If if there's anybody here, you you can raise your hand. uh, I can say a prayer for you and there's anybody, amen. Father in heaven, we do pray that, uh, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would, Lord, at, at some point, surrender their lives to you. That you would impress on their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that they need Jesus. They need forgiveness of sins, Lord. And I pray that they would know and realize, Lord, how much you love them and what you've done for them to be forgiven sent your son to die in their place so they can have the hope of eternal life. I pray that they would realize that. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. To you be all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.